Thank you. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience Wildcard Weekend DraftKings Picks and Preview. Remember, the lock for the main slate is going to happen at around 4.30, I think it is. Eh, 4-ish, 4.30-ish on Saturday. So you have a limited amount of time to not only set your lines, but get in the Pat Mayo Experience DraftKings Open Listeners League that is open for this week. There's only a 1,000 spots, so those will fill up rather quickly. If you're looking for the link, it is in the description of this podcast and video. $15 to play, free max entry, no rake. So it's the best tournament on DraftKings. You may want to get into that. If you want some DK bucks, you got two ways to do so. One, smash the like button for the video. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. And you tell me which player on this DraftKings slate, high price player, Let's say, must play player that you're going to fade. Because, hey, can't just play everyone. So what big name are you going to fade on wildcard weekend in your DraftKings lineup? If you want to get into a draft for 100 DraftKings dollars, leave an audio review for the Pat Mayo Experience podcast. Subscribe to the show, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever it might be. Spotify, leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle, and something you like about this show, and you'll be in the draw for 100 DraftKings dollars. Winners announced on Monday's golf show with Jeff Feinberg, so you might want to tune in to that, even if you don't like golf, to see if you won the 100 or 20 DraftKings dollars. I highly recommend you tune into the golf shows, by the way. We're going to be back in full swing. Uh, there's a Gup, if you go to gupscorner.com, there is a one-and-done uh, contest, which means you get to take one golfer per week, and you can only take them once per year. I think it's like $50 or 75 dollars to play but it's a great like roi for your buck for entertainment it's a lot of fun you don't really need to know anything about golf highly recommend that everyone go play in that you can check out the golf shows from earlier this week or even my twitter the links are all up there and the best tool that you can have for that is fantasynational.com if you're even just scraping the surface about playing DraftKings golf any daily fantasy golf betting on golf fantasynational.com is uh, where you want to be at additionally Okay, so there's <laughs> I'm try, trying to figure out a way to explain this. Uh, there's an account on Instagram, cool dude. He's at the Fantasy Football Show. Recommend everyone go follow him. He's trying to launch this league that's going to be a slow draft, which commences right after the Super Bowl, or right before the Super Bowl. Can't really remember, but I believe it's like 96 teams. And there's going to be a draft. I'm not entirely sure all the details on how it works. But if this is something that interests you out there, um, he has offered up two spots to viewers and listeners of this show to go into it. So at the Fantasy Football Show on Instagram, if you just hit him up with a DM or put something in his like message, like his comment on one of his posts, uh, and just say you know, you're a viewer of the PME uh, and you want one of these spots then hey, go for it. It sounds like a pretty cool league. I don't have the time to plan it myself, so we offer it up to the viewers who might want to partake in just like a really off-kilter league. You can go find the rules, ask them what the rules are, and see if it interests you, but I highly recommend you go do it. Uh, it could be cool if you're just looking for a different format to play fantasy football. All right, enough of that shit. Let's get into it. Jake Seeley from TheAthletic.com is on the line. How is your new year going, pal? It's going very well so far, buddy. Uh, though, uh, by the way, it's 4.35 is the kickoff on Saturday for you. But uh, I got to tell you, it's weird. As, as you kicked off the show and I was waiting for welcome to week, whatever. When you So when you said the playoffs, it just sounds weird now. Well, usually uh, you, me and you finish up our part of the show. We do like periodic shows as we go throughout the year. But like week 16 is generally the last week we talked about. I was like, hey, we're doing DraftKings picks. We're still talking football. I got to talk to Seeley. Like, oh, hey, you're, you're not going to win guest of the year, by the way. 
Oh, I know that it's coming down to what is it? Uh, Cust is I, I checked last time I checked, he was like two or three percentage points behind. I maybe he can make a late run at it. Yeah, so I'll put that in the description of the podcast or video. I have a thing up on Twitter right now, I believe it runs through Tuesday. The PME Awards for 2019. So it has you know, favorite guest and then all the subcategories of guests, favorite topic, favorite show, that kind of thing. Everyone should go vote in them, but it is coming down to the main four the guests who appeared the most times on the show were you Paul Shag, who's generally behind the camera, but also hosts the UFC show Feinberg and cuss. And it's really coming down to Feinberg V cuss for guest of the year. <laughs> then there's other ones. Like I, I, I kind of feel bad because, you know, people like them because they're in studio or they're on all of the time that you know, I probably should have dropped you down into best video guest category. <laughs> so I had a shot to win, but Hey, look, I don't know. Cause I'm not seeing the responses for the people who don't say it, but I, I think I'm in the running for the write in one, right though. Yeah, that's coming. There's a write-in award for most accurate and best picks guest. It's a write-in, so you can write into who you think is going to be that person. I believe it's between, like, you, Rick, and Raza. Like, you guys are the three runaways right now. It, it, I don't know who's who. Uh, well, I, I, maybe I have a shot at that. Get, give me some more uh, write-in awards. That that's my only chance of winning anything. You could have put me up against that. Actually, what was the one time that somebody beat like me, Gary, and somebody else? It was like they got like 70% of the vote, and then Gary and I and whoever the third person were, we get like 5% each. I, I think that was the first year we did this, like three or four years ago. I think Feinberg was just a runaway. Yeah. So basically, I guess you can put him in the Hall of Fame after this one, maybe. And so Feinberg says it like you can call it the Feinberg Award. We could call it the Feinberg Award. I mean, he's on like 100 shows a year, so he's, <laughs> he's, it's been well earned for him. And the problem is, is like when you go up against him and Cust, you have the entertainment factor that nobody else, myself included, doesn't have. I mean, those two, I mean, I, I, putting them two on the show together when you do is just that's a that's a treat in its own right. It's funny because when we first started doing the show, that's not how we did it. It'd be me, Garyan and Cust, and it would just right. be Jeff and I. And then we, we just mangled it around at some point and we ended up on this. I think it worked out for the best, although I do miss my me, Cust and Garyan shows. Different vibe, but pretty hilarious. It definitely, I would say so, but in a whole different, it's kind of like a different hilarity. Yeah. So the link to the voting and all of the awards is in the description of this video and podcast right now. So you can go vote in the PME awards if you would like to do that. Any thoughts on this slate before we jump into each position? Like, is there any one team in particular that you're like, you got to have all those guys. And if that's the, if that's true, is the answer the Saints? <laughs> I think it well, so that would be my answer, but I know we're going to break it down. I'm hesitant to go too heavy on it only because what it comes down to, and we'll talk about it. I actually have two different lineups with some saints is I kind of feel like you're, it's either going to be naked Drew Brees or Drew Brees and a bunch of people. Like, I, I just kind of feel like this is the saints. It could go either way. It could have been a bunch of Camaro. Look, look, let's go back to last week in the fact that Michael Thomas, Nada. What was it like 50, 60 yards and even score a touchdown? It was you know, Alvin Kamara, other options, Taysom freaking Hill. So, you know, maybe Taysom Hill's the play, but I feel like the Saints are going to be a factor one way or another. Okay. So let's get into running backs. The highest price running back on this slate is Derrick Henry at New England. He's $8,200. After that, it's Dalvin Cook at 78, Alvin Kamara at 7,400. Then there's a huge drop to Miles Sanders and Devin Singletary at 62 and 6,000. Boston Scott right behind him at $5,800. James White, Travis O'Mail. 
Marshawn Lynch, and then Carlos Hyde and Latavius Murray, $51 and $5,000. On a slate that only has eight teams on it, picking and choosing, like you could pay up for Michael Thomas and Derrick Henry if you really wanted to. Do you think Derrick Henry is in an absolute smash spot at New England? Because I know that when most people construct their lineups, basically... You know Derrick Henry's going to get the ball over and over and over unless somehow unless it's a Deion Lewis revenge situation against the <laughs> Patriots here. And he has been banged up with that hamstring injury, so maybe you fade him and all of a sudden he like tweaks it in the first quarter and he can't play anymore. That's a highly unlikely scenario, but yeah, it's in the range of outcomes. The issue is you can pay up. You'll have the salary cap to pay up for all these guys and basically whoever you want. It's just there's no value at running back. Like who's the pay down guy that you almost do have to pay up, don't you? I think you do have to. There's two guys I am looking to pay down if you want, but this is something uh, we did the fantasy show, the the DraftKings show specifically a lot, mostly with Joe Holka over for the footballers. And Joe is a big proponent of always saying, just go pay up at running back. People try to get too cute all the time. And that's where you run into trouble. Like so many weeks that people were trying to make excuses to not pay up for Christian McCaffrey and Christian McCaffrey got to, as you know, 11, five at one point, and he was still worth it most of the time. Cause even his bad games was 20 points running back. When you do have this and you do have the kind of separation you do, you do have to pay up. I'm not paying up for him only because I'm trying to construct a roster that I, I actually did one that I really like. And both the rosters I like, I went to Camara, which I'm sure we'll talk about that. But just because that savings, I was able to like manipulate a little bit more of what I liked. But I did find rosters that I like with Henry. I just like the Camara ones a little bit more. But to your point, I think you need to have at least one of them. Uh, if you could find a way to get two, and if you notice, I'm not saying Dalvin Cook because I don't want to trust Dalvin Cook coming off an injury, coming against the Saints defense that generally don't run very well between the tackles against. I think it's Kamara and Henry for me. And if you're going to pay down, there are two. Do you want me to just tell you the two that I'm looking at? Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm looking at my lineup right now, and I actually went to Dalvin Cook. He's actually, he's not my preferred option. He'd probably, like, if I had, like, if we were doing our weekly rankings, he'd be behind the other two. But I know that people aren't going to use him because right. of the risky situation, because of the injury. And on such a short slate, I need to figure out a way to differentiate my team just a little bit. And I do think that he probably still has the highest upside of any of those three guys, because if he's healthy, he's going to be on the field, he's going to get all the goal line work, and he's going to be involved in the receiving game. Uh, and with Derrick Henry, I mean, Derrick Henry could score five touchdowns and absolutely break the slate. We saw Kamara in week 17 almost do exactly the same thing. But if Cook is healthy, they're going to need him. And I do think this game could end up being relatively competitive. Everyone's just kind of writing off the Vikings. And there's a situation where the pass rush is so good for the Saints um, that it just might be a lot of dump off city. And if Cook is healthy, that's going to be a lot of him. Not so much Kyle Rudolph, not so much Irv Smith. If Dalvin Cook's healthy, he's going to be the one getting the ball. So I'll risk my lineup on that. And then when I pay down, I use Duke Johnson. <laughs> yeah, so I definitely like that. And I like Dalvin Cook in tournaments if you're doing cash or yeah, you know, small you know field. What? You know what? We don't even talk about cash on this show. Jim. Okay. Hey. I don't want to win double my money. You know what? I want to win a million dollars. <laughs> that's certainly fair. And then at that, so that's how we're speaking about everything today. Then I got to tell you, then the Camara to Cook for the pr- fact that their price is as close as it is. I'd rather just go with Cook because, as you mentioned, you're going to get the lower ownership. You're going to get $400 difference with the same ceiling, honestly. You're going to, and to be honest, how different is their floor? Because until the past two weeks of Camara, I mean, the floor was just as bad. He had one game before the past two weeks where he scored a touchdown. It was two touchdowns in that same game. But was that week three or four? It was super early in the season. So the floor is there because Drew Brees could go to everybody else. So, for your point, if we're going to specifically talk tournaments, 
I do like Dalvin Cook more for everything you just said. So I guess the big thing to try to figure out with this slate is the Eagles backfield, because I do think that you can take advantage of Seattle on the ground. Uh, and they're a team yes. that's just going to kind of, I mean, Seattle's defense isn't very good. Like regardless if it's the passing game or the running game, <laughs> you can uh, get some yardage on them. Let's just say that. But Miles Sanders, as we record this, uh, did not practice on Thursday. So right. is he going to play? Question mark. I'm Ron Burgundy. Uh, yeah. Like, like, that's really what's going to cut to. I don't know if he does for the same conversation we're kind of having about cook. I think that if he does, if he does play, you're looking at a good pivot off Boston Scott, because after like, you know how it is, especially in DFS recency bias is King and people are going to be all over Boston Scott. You and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago when he was first relevant on your ranking show. And I told you what he was, he was Darren Sproles. And this is exactly what we're seeing. He's the Darren Sproles role in this offense. So just give him the name Darren Sproles. And that's how you understand Boston Scott. But because of that, everybody's going to be all over him. Now, you know, obviously we're not talking about if Miles Sanders is out, but if he's in for the, they're actually very close to price, another $400 difference because Boston Scott's now priced up. I think that you either take Miles Sanders for your Dalvin Cook argument because nobody's going to want to use him coming on that injury and worried that he might only see five touches. He might be a decoy, whatever it might be. So I think that's a good play for there. I don't. Duke Johnson wasn't even the one that I was looking at. The one I was paying down for is I'm all over James White. Tons of James White. How come James White? Because I'm looking at James White in this situation against – that like this defense for me, in my opinion, sets up more as a James White game, getting involved in the passing game, getting involved against a team that, yes, the matchup's not great. And we assume that everything should be shut down, as you said, and they just run. There's a scenario where this game gets slowed down with Derrick Henry, as you mentioned, with the whole situation and, you know, A.J. Brown and all of a sudden, oh, God, dude, well, there's nothing going on there. So they run 40 plays. There's also one where Tannehill, as he has done in the past, does well against this team. And I know it wasn't Stefan Gilmore, the defense they have right now, but that they keep pace similar to your, your point about the Vikings is, Hey, I think that the Tennessee Titans are going to put up more points, have a little bit more pace than what people are expecting. Similar to what you're saying. I think everybody's writing off the Vikings. Everybody's writing off the Titans going into new England. I think if you keep this pace up and you get this game to the twenties on both sides, I think James White is going to be a factor, and they're not just going to lean on Sonny Michelle because I've seen leaning on Sonny Michelle is just, it's, it's a minus EV as a team. Yeah, it's not a great situation to be in, but he's almost like how we used to treat Derrick Henry before Derrick Henry like flipped the switch in the final four weeks last year and has just been a monster ever since. That Michelle yeah. is all, Michelle was the only he's not the only guy on the team. I shouldn't say that because James White could have three touches for three touchdowns. But if you're trying to talk about a guy who could score three touchdowns on seven carries and gain two yards, it's Sony Michelle in this game. Yeah, see, uh, but looking at though, to the cost for the return is you get down to this fifty-seven hundred, where a lot of people, like I said, are going to be on Boston Scott. You drop an extra hundred dollars, you get the fifty-seven, and there's a lot of games where at fifty-seven, you're getting almost three times value. Several games, like granted, his ceiling's not twenty-five, but you don't need to the, in a slate like this. You don't need to hit twenty-five at every position. If you save and he does hit his fifteen, sixteen, seventeen points at fifty-seven hundred, what you save to get maybe Michael Thomas and Derrick Henry or Michael Thomas and Dalvin Cook, something like that will be the game changer. Okay. So 
Right now, I'm looking at the beat reporters still expect Sanders to play on Sunday when Philadelphia hosts Seattle in its playoff opener. Uh, so first of all, good call on Miles Sanders this year. Uh, if we kind of scale back to the very beginning of the season, maybe we should do our best hits and biggest misses at some point. I mean, that's a good filler show for during like yeah, pro always week fun. or whatever it is. But you kind of made the case, and we even said it on the ranking show a few times, especially the trade deadline shows. Like, this is a guy that you want to trade for in the second half of the season. And that's sort of what you said at the very beginning. It's like, it's going to take a while for Sanders to get himself established. And obviously, it ended up taking the Jordan Howard injury to really unleash him. But he would make a great second half player. But you're going to have to ride through and bench him for most of the first part of the season. So that's always intriguing. So let's say we went through if he does play and he's limited, does that make him a good player or not? How does Jordan Howard factor into any of this, if he does at all? <laughs> he returned in Week 17, and he played one snap. Now, obviously, that's not great by any means. However, it was encouraging to A, see him active, and B, actually have him on the field for even one snap, because he had been <laughs> non-contact for a month before that, that maybe once they got up in that game, they're like, hey, why don't we just kind of save Jordan Howard here? Is there any chance that you would use Jordan Howard in the lineup this week? Because I'm thinking about it. <laughs> So this is so this is tough. This is now you're talking about a conversation where we start pulling in our hatred for Jared Cook type of thing. Like I have such a hatred and a bias against Jordan Howard that it's always going to be tough for me to get it pulled in uh, similar to like my hatred for Will Fuller or stuff like that there. And it's not Jordan Howard's been productive. It's not like the Will Fuller where he's only got two good games. My problem with Jordan Howard is that it kind of comes from my scouting area of things where it's like Jordan Howard does what any running back in the NFL should be able to do. He just does what he can get and what he can get. If he doesn't get it. So what it comes down to is yes, I can see a scenario with no miles Sanders where Jordan Howard is a value play. And that, my problem is I don't want to put him in my lineup because it's the Sony Michelle factor. That's what you're going to need. You're going to need, it's going to be 20 carries for 80 yards, 75 yards, kind of unspectacular, but falling into two or three rushing touchdowns because that's what this offense turns to in the end zone. My only, like my second pullback from that is looking at the last four games of the season. What Carson Wentz has been doing with relatively nobody, he's been playing great at the quarterback position. What the Carson Wentz we've always wanted to see. Do they go away from that because it's been working? Because when Jordan Howard was Jordan Howard, the Eagles were kind of like, eh. they like Carson Wentz was struggling at times. And I know it's a completely different team makeup now, but I mean, do you kind of pull off Carson Wentz just to get Jordan Howard involved? And that's why I have a little bit of hesitancy there. So yeah, I, I like the comparison you made. He's, Almost like, and the reason I would want to go to him is that if I was considering using Sony Michelle, that Jordan Howard's going to be the lower owned Sony Michelle, more risk but similar right. upside. And and realistically, the floor is the same because if Sony Michelle doesn't score a touchdown, he's probably not doing anything. No, he's probably, and that's the biggest thing is it's again, it's the it's. I think if I was forced to go between the two, I'm looking at the price. I would like to say, you know, all things considered, I'd go with Sony Michelle. Uh, but you know, I could see Jordan Howard being interesting. Like, I don't think he'll be a very, very highly owned. He, he could be the, the slave breaker of all of them, especially if he scores twice. Uh, I guess the other big situation that you're going to have to deal with right now is when you drop to the bottom of the $5,000 range, you have Homer and you have Marshawn Lynch. If we take a look at the snap share distribution between the two in week 17, I thought it was somewhat interesting only because Homer played 67% of the snaps and Lynch played 31. Now we get into a situation where... 
is that because Marshawn Lynch was just signed off the street? Is it because they got hmm. behind in that game? Like, if we look at the receiving game, Homer had five catches. Marshawn Lynch had none, although Lynch outcarried Homer 12 to 10 in that contest. Uh, they're two-point favorite. They're now one-and-a-half-point favorites on the road in Philadelphia. Against a run defense, it's like, all right, uh, it's you know slightly above average, but it's certainly susceptible. Uh, they should be able to do something on the ground. We know that the Seahawks want to run the ball. Do you have a preferred play between these two, or is it just leave both of them alone? Because I think there's one of them could be incredibly valuable here. And for me, it's probably going to be Homer because he actually does stuff out of the backfield. So, and that's the thing. And also in the passing game, you're not going to see a ton from Lynch and you do granted, this is a run heavy team and wants to establish the run. But if you beat the Eagles this year, you beat them in the past easily. Like they make everybody look good. So the opportunity here where I think a lot of people, you're going to see a lot of stacks with Russell Wilson, Tyler Lock, and DK Metcalf. And I think that's going to be a very common one out there. And I can see why the Eagles just get abused in the passing game there. You know, that's a stack that you have to pay a little bit of a premium for. So people are going to be thinking, Hey, you know what? That's going to be one that's maybe less owned. I actually think it ends up being a higher owned stack of everything. And maybe your pivot is this and it's Homer in the passing game. I'm not extremely excited for either one of them. And, you know, to pimp the D'Angelo Williams show that I do with him, he has a really interesting theory on this whole Marshawn Lynch thing, going back to even the Super Bowl and going back to what happened last week where, you know, the whole snafu with the delay of game. And he was initially on the field for that one yard potential carry. And then the delay, he says that, that I'm just telling you. He says Pete Carroll doesn't want Marshawn Lynch to be the hero because they don't want that with what happens with him in the media. And they don't want him to be the face of the team. You see the fans, they went nuts for his first carry. The, the, he says he thinks Pete Carroll and his team don't want that, which makes me think like, oh my God, is he even going to get a carry inside the five or is he just always going to find reasons not to use him? Yeah, but that is like next level conspiracy thinking, isn't it? Isn't it like, like that's the super narrative that you've ever heard of? I like that it's coming from an ex player, too, because it's funny to think that like players would think about this. Like, obviously, like, there's probably some sort of situation that happened to him at some point, like maybe when like Le'Veon Bell went down uh, and then he took over. and was <laughs> great. They're like, well, we got to put D'Angelo back on the bench. Can't take too much heat away from Le'Veon. No, so, well, he does have a, a little bit of a similar story. Of like, so when he left the Panthers, not on good terms, you can always listen to his whole story. Uh, Mike Tomlin told him, he's like, before they played them, they, they were playing them, I think, in the preseason. It, I think that's what he said. Anyway, he go, Mike Tomlin came to him and said, I'm making you team captain. He's like, don't do it to me. I'm going to walk away as soon as they do. Like the hand. He's like, I'm making you team captain. And then they had the game and they made team captain. And he shook his hands and he got back to the sideline. And Mike Tomlin said, see, I knew you would do the right thing. So... And maybe that's what it is. Maybe like there's these conspiracies when it comes to head coaches that like these players believe. It's interesting. One guy we did not talk about whatsoever. Devin Singletary against the I have him in. You you have him in. Okay, so I guess my because he's six thousand dollars. We just kind of talked around a lot of these guys. Can you see a scenario where you pass on the big three running backs, Henry and Cook? and Kamara and start your team with, let's say Sanders is active, start it with Sanders and go Singletary or go Singletary and Travis Homer or however way you want to piece these guys together. I think that way you can make your team completely different than everyone else's for starters. And then it allows you the ability to pay up at tight end, to pay up at every other position because you've saved so much money off the top. Do you think that's a viable strategy or is it stupid not to take one of the studs? So I think it's, viable but it's still kind of stupid if it can be both because i think it's only viable in the five percent ten percent chance that that actually works 
So if you're setting 20 lineups, if you're going for a max entry 25 lineup somewhere, you know, maybe you do that one or two. Uh, I'm not doing it if I'm only throwing in five entries. I probably even in 10 entries might not think about doing it, but I think that's why is because go back to what I brought up before with the whole Joe Hochul thing is you pay up for those kind of running backs because not doing it doesn't work 90% of the time. So there is a scenario, but now you're doubling down. It's not only the fact that you don't want to pay up for Derrick Henry, you're not paying up for two of them. You're, you're taking that completely off the table. So that's why I said you just do the math there and you're asking two guys to hit near a 20 point performance and yeah, it can work because you can get the studs at wide receiver and tight end, but it's, it's more, it's always been proven to be more uh, smart, more, more return on value to do the running backs than to go to the wide receivers and savings. Yes. But one of the big points about paying up at running back is you're paying up for that guaranteed volume. And the one thing with Singletary right. is that he's actually closer to the studs in terms of volume than the guys who are like very close and below him in terms of DraftKings pricing this week. His only drawback is that Josh Allen steals all of his touchdowns. He does. But and you're also looking at so Houston, they're not the defense. And that's why I, first they're not even comparable so i'm just saying that but the last two weeks of the season the volume was there and the dude didn't even break double digits true so with houston so they were a top 10 run defense for most of the season as the final six weeks hit they now finished the season 22nd in dvoa they're 26 like they have a really bad defense now do you think jj watt plays and or affects this whatsoever All the reports are that he is playing. I don't think his first game back is going to change that defense that dramatically. We're talking about, uh, I will talk about when we get to wide receiver, but I don't think it's going to be that kind of an impact where, oh my God, they rebound to where they are too. Because to your point of where they were to fall to where they are now, they have to be even worse than they are now. But like math, you have to be even worse than that. So they were one of the most favorable matchups, like the Jaguars, like the Panthers, they were down there. So that's part of the reason why I do have Singletary and quite a few, I'd say I've got, I'm looking right now, I'd say 30, 40%. I do like Singletary for every reason you just said. It's the volume. It's a much better matchup. And even with J.J. Watt, I don't think we all of a sudden jump back to top 10. I think maybe at worst case, it's a middle of the pack kind of matchup. And then you would still take the volume anyway. Of the cheaper ones, I mentioned Duke Johnson. You said James White. James White's still James 57. White. James, James White's still fifty-seven hundred bucks. So let's say you want right. to go scumming here to try to fit someone in. Like I said, I like Duke Johnson the best. Can you see a scenario where Dion Lewis does anything here, or Rex Burkhead, one of those guys? No, I was gonna say if I'm going scumming it, I hate to do it because you're just relying on the touchdowns. But it's Sonny Michelle. I mean, that's it's for that price at forty-six hundred falls into two touchdowns as the Patriots will do. That's where I would go. Uh, Rex Burkhead can. It's just, it's kind of like for Will Fuller, right? It's going to be two times out of 16 games. Uh, hopefully that happens for you. So the big thing with me and Duke Johnson is if you do play him, you probably want to create a script in your lineup where it's a Duke Johnson type game. Like if you do like Josh Allen and John Brown, that kind of thing, or in Cole Beasley, let's say, right? That's your Bills stack. You might want to bring it back. I mean, you probably want to bring it back with a like DeAndre Hopkins, but Duke Johnson is a cog in that passing game as well. If they're playing catch up, where you would probably want that for the savings at running back. So that's, uh, I'm glad you brought that up too. That's something else Joe Hochul talks a lot about is what you just said about understanding that if you're putting somebody in, like a Sonny Michelle. Like, obviously, if you're putting in Sony Michelle, and I don't think a lot of people would be starting him anyway, but you don't put in Sony Michelle probably with Derrick Henry because you're creating a scenario, as you just said, where the Patriots are up, 
They're running the ball a ton. And if that's the case, well, now you're forcing the Titans, as much as they would love to run the ball with Derrick Henry, to pass more. It's A lot of people miss that when you're building these kind of lineups. If you're going to go scum it, as you said, with these kind of running backs, you have to create a scenario that works on both sides. You don't want to create a scenario where it's like, oh, I hit that, but now I lost all the value I potentially had because I didn't make up for with the quarterbacks and wide receivers that should off play it. Let's switch to a wide receivers. The most expensive receiver, no shocker, most expensive player on the <laughs> slate is Michael Thomas at $9,300. Uh, my quick take on this, he has the best matchup basically of anyone on this slate. He's the best receiver in football. And yeah, whatever, he's coming down from a down week. But somehow on a game with, on a slate with eight games, Michael Thomas is priced right around where he normally is. Like, I can't envision a scenario where I make a lineup that doesn't have Michael Thomas in it. He's not the big name that I'm going to be fading this week. No, he's not. But I, I do have a couple, but that's mostly, and we'll talk about it if we get to it. But I actually have one where I have Hopkins instead of Michael Thomas. And that's just to differentiate a little bit there. Uh, but I'm looking at the fact, look, somebody tweeted this out earlier today and I don't remember who it was. So if anybody sees the tweet, credit to them. It was something about the fact that it's like 75 something percent completion or percentage going from Breeze to Thomas. And then the fact is that Xavier Rhodes and that whole secondary is allowing like a 76% completion percentage. So Michael Thomas not having double digit receptions is like, unheard of obviously to put it all I say all that to put it in this perspective as you just said and we're talking about Michael Thomas is almost a guarantee and I put that in quotes because nothing ever is but you're talking about a guarantee of near or above double digit receptions you find a way to fit him in at ninety three hundred dollars Yes, and there's enough players that no one's going to have like the the perfect lineup on paper looking at it that it's worth having him in even if you have to drop down at tight end and something like that or take a cheap receiver, a gamble on someone like that. It was Sal Vetri who put that out, by the way. It was Jeff Radcliffe had one, then Sal Vetri had another uh, kind of compounding both those as it pertained to DFS. So, you know, both friends of the show, check them out. So the overall scope of receivers here, $9,300, Michael Thomas. After that, we drop into DeAndre Hopkins at 77. He'll probably draw Tredavious yep. White in this game, although it probably doesn't matter with him. AJ Brown. No, that's why I like it. I AJ, think that. I think that. Sorry. Go ahead. AJ Brown against Stephen Gilmore, seventy four hundred. Then Lockett against that Eagle secondary, seventy two hundred. Diggs, Edelman, Thielen, DK Metcalf, John Brown, and then Cole Beasley. That's a six thousand dollar range. Cole Beasley comes in at fifty nine hundred dollars. So those two guys that we talked about, you were just about to interject: Hopkins against Tre'Davious <laughs> White, and then AJ Brown against Stephen Gilmore. At least presumably uh, are the are the matchups that we're expecting there. This is why you like them this week because you think people are going to avoid them because I have so far in my lineups. Yeah, I do. I'm sorry. I'm laughing still. I'm still laughing because all I'm picturing is that one show that you had. Like, Would you fucking let me finish? <laughs> I don't remember who that was. And that's the first time I've ever dropped that word on this, your show. But I had to do it because that's all that's going through my mind is that the guy kept interrupting you. And it was the best thing ever. Anyway, so um, I do like Hopkins more than Brown. I, I think that Stefan Gilmore is actually what just happened with last week with Devontae Parker. Talk about recency bias. I think that's why, and I don't know, I'll check fans here and everything like that, um, but I don't know if that A.J. Brown's ownership might be higher than Hopkins because of the price and because people are going to be like, oh, well, 
he's not as good as we think he is. And I still think that Stefan Gilmore is as good of white as white, if not better. So in any case, you said it as you were going down the list. You said not that that matters with Hopkins. It, Hopkins is going to be force fed the ball if probably as many times as Michael Thomas, whether or not Will Fuller is healthy. And I think that Will Fuller actually being in that game might even pull more people away from Hopkins. So I like Hopkins as the pivot off of Thomas for the savings and for the big name against a bad matchup that could still put up a Michael Thomas-like game. So for me, the one thing, and just trying to break this down from a film perspective, looking at the body type of Devontae Parker and the success that he had against Stephen Gilmore, he was able to really bully him more than I would have expected. And a lot during the course of the season, Gilmore is playing against receivers that are marginally larger than him, or he's the exact same size. But A.J. Brown right. is going to be bigger than him. He can be a physical presence against Stephen Gilmore. And I think a lot of people are going to back off of it because of that. Like people, weirdly enough, still love the Patriots in this game that I could actually see. The, the main thing that I could see with Brown being more owned than Hopkins is just Hopkins is more expensive. And if you want to, because everyone wants to play Michael Thomas. So playing Thomas and Hopkins gets a bit pricey that if you do have the savings down to Brown, I think people might take it, but I do think he can have a lot of success in this matchup. I I agree with you. And I said the only reason between splitting hairs between the two of them uh, would be that's why I would go Hopkins. But I could see a scenario too, and you got me intrigued. I initially started down that path, but I forget what happened. I do want to now, I'll probably do it after the show, build a lineup with Hopkins and A.J. Brown and see what I could do there. Yeah, that's really interesting if you just fade Michael Thomas. Like, if you're playing one, two, or three lineups, you don't want to fade Michael Thomas. If you start right. purging it to 10 or 20, then yes, of course, you're probably not going to play 100%. You play like 80%, and you're, you're still well-leveraged against the field. Although he probably, even in tournaments, I'm guessing he comes into like 70% ownership. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. But also, to your point, that's the big thing, too, is if you're fading off Michael Thomas, you're going to also be fading away from what people have paired with Michael Thomas a lot too, because it'll be the five and $6,000 guys where you get two $7,000 and now you're in a whole different, I mean, you've already distanced yourself from the pack. Well, one strategy tip that you can try to employ it's uh, but you know, it's obviously no guarantee kind of thing, but if I've had success with it on Thanksgiving slates and these sorts of slates in the past is if you stack the first game, let's say, and you take some of the smaller pieces from the Bills and Texans game, where that is the first game out of the gate. And let's say your guys hit, let's say you use, I don't know, Isaiah McKenzie on the Bills or Robert <laughs> Foster, like a cheap piece or a Dawson Knox, doesn't matter who it is, like the sleeper piece of the game and it hits, Kenny Stills, whatever it might be, and that hits. You can then late swap and reconstruct your lineups to go on to the chalkier plays because you already have a head start against the field who now needs to catch up by using one of the cheaper plays from some of the other games. I think that's a viable strategy for some of your lineups. I do too. Uh, and especially because a lot of people think of it the other way as well is they're kind of like, well, if I take Hopkins and Deshaun Watson, I'm sitting with this nice lead and then all, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's kind of, you go that route it, again. This isn't, I would say I want to do this with only two or three lineups, but you go for that gamble pick. I mean, even if you pay up a little bit more and do like the Cole Beasley and Cole Beasley hits one of his eight reception, 110 yards and a touchdown type game, you know, as you mentioned, you can feel okay about, being chalky but also still you've already differentiated yourself there yeah because the hardest part about these short slate weekends is that you're going to have to differentiate yourself somewhere so if you get that out of the way early then you don't like let's say you try to play the chalk and 
like you go through and you have DeAndre Hopkins. Let's say he's the second highest owned receiver. Use Devin Singletary and shockingly enough, he and Josh Allen together is super shocking. They're not going to be, but just as this example, <laughs> you then need to figure out a way in the later games to late swap onto one of these sleeper picks somewhere. And then you have to hope that they hit. If you know out of the gate, either they've hit or they haven't hit, you still have time to readjust your lineups going into the games later on that, Hey, I'm behind my sleeper pick didn't hit. Now I can't use this chalky guy in my lineup because if he hits he hits for everybody and that's doing me no good so at least anytime you can utilize the late swap uh, especially on a shorter slate like this it does give you a bit of advantage not like significant maybe a one or two percent chance against the field maybe up to five percent because so few people do it but it allows you to tinker with your lineup knowing a better idea of what people have played and the scenarios that you need in order for your team to win or highly cash as opposed to the field like if your sleepers don't hit or your chalk doesn't hit in the early part of the games and you have Michael Thomas in the first thing you need to do is go take Michael Thomas out of your lineup because <laughs> him hitting does you absolutely no good you're going to remain where you are but if he like somewhat busts and you go on to let's say tower lock it because of him, even if you leave a bunch of salary cap on the table he hits Thomas doesn't then you have a huge score against the field and you may have a chance to get your money back yep oh, I, I really have nothing to add to that that's you added everything that I could think of when it comes to that. I'll, uh, you know what? There is one little thing I can add. It's all great. And it's a great point, And it's very good strategy, sound advice. Just make sure if you're doing that, don't put the guy that you are gambling on for the first game or even the second game on Saturday. Don't put him in your flex, please. This is like regular season stuff here. Don't play a Thursday night guy in your flex. Don't put, so like, you know, just don't do it unless you're stacking in on some flex. I don't know why you would do this, but if you have all Houston and Tennessee wide receivers or something like that, but don't put him in your flex. Don't do it. Yeah. If you have the opportunity to put anyone from the Philly Seahawks game into your flex, put them into your flex and give yourself the most outs as possible. And you can leave it till the latest possible moment to jump on. A hundred percent. Unless, I mean, well, I do have one price player I really like in that game. And if he's in your flex, it's not going to matter because there's nobody else in his price range. (laughs) Fair enough then. So at receiver, like I constructed lineups around Michael Thomas and Tower Lockett. Uh, One of the things that it was actually Paul Shaughnessy who pointed this out to me towards the end of the season is that the Eagles really struggle with super fast and athletic receivers. Uh, They can actually shut down good receivers. Like their pass defense is not as bad as it's been all year, but you have a guy whose athleticism and like spark score is off the charts and they just don't know what to do. Now, most people think that's DK Metcalf, which it probably is as well, which is why a Wilson, Lockett, Hollister, DK Metcalf onslaught might end up being the play. But I just like Lockett because I just think that very few people are going to use him. Mm, I, I'm with you on the fact that I think very few people are going to use him. I'm kind of looking right now, but uh, yeah, I was just kind of seeing for him. But uh, no, so to your point, that's actually, we'll jump right into that. I thought we were going to save it for a little bit. My super, super, super cheap price players. Actually, David Moore in this game. Not Malik Turner? No, not Malik Turner. For what we're talking about here, Malik Turner, I actually think, isn't he banged up and out of this game? Oh, I, I don't know if he was out or if he was going to play or not, but David Moore ended up playing over 70% of the snaps yeah. against the Niners. But do you think that had, that was a game flow situation where they were behind by so much that they just threw him onto the field a bunch? No, and that's the thing is, I think it comes down to the he's their number three wide receiver, and um, yeah, it doesn't no Matt, no Malik Turner, no he's their number three this week, and the reason I say number three, and go back to what you're saying, we sidebarred a little, a little bit, but you're talking about the speed. The dude runs a four four. He's six zero, runs a four four. So I, I think that if you're looking for because look, he's thirty four hundred for a reason. He's their number three wide receiver, which might be their number four option, but 
everything you're talking about, the speed, the opportunity as their number three, if the Eagles try to double cover Tyler Hockett or maybe try to, you know, keep the overtop on DK Metcalf so he doesn't get behind their, their corners. You know, maybe David Moore is the one that sneaks it. Obviously, David Moore paying off at this is just going to be like three receptions for 90 yards. And if he hits for a touchdown, I mean, you're you're golden. But yeah, it's still yeah, – that's you, why you, I said this. You, you need him to end up scoring the touchdown. I like that, though, because I was trying to find the receiver to pay Dan for for my salary cap relief. And the lowest I could kind of figure out was Traquan Smith at 4000 I didn't even really love <laughs> that. Although I do have a guy uh, at the bottom of the $4,000 range that I'm probably going to play in every lineup. So we'll, we'll see how that works out. I like the Traquan Smith one as well. It just it always might be a Ted Ginn situation. The the one that intrigued me is we didn't even talk about him, but Corey Davis. I, I know look, uh. Corey Davis is uh, exactly Corey Davis real life. I mean he's he's heading down a Devontae Parker path. Maybe in two years we're going to be talking about this guy being amazing. He did pop off at the end of the year, and I'm just saying it is the Patriots. If Stephon Gilmore rebounds, if this game pushes a little bit of pace here. Uh, look, I don't want to do it. I've been as disgusted as you have been for what we've seen from him. But I mean, we're, we're picking opportunities down here. And if you're looking at opportunities, I'm looking at it. If it's Traquan Smith, I think I know the other guy you're talking about here. But it's Corey Davis. I mean, like Tajay Sharp. I guess maybe Tajay Sharp, the middle of the field before last week. That's actually been the, the Ravens and the Patriots were very similar in this facet is that over the middle of the field, those slot guys, the quick underneath guys had shown a little bit of uh, opportunity over this. So maybe it's Tajay Sharp, either one of them. They're both 3,800. 3, yeah, I think that if I was going to go to a receiving piece of the Titans game, it might just be Jonu Smith. I like John Smith a lot, actually. So the guy that I wanted to bring up, I don't know what to do with, and this isn't the guy that I was locking into all the lineups, but Robert Davis actually played more snaps than Greg Ward against yeah. the Giants in Week 17. He only had two targets. He had no catches, but he was just always on the field. He's $3,200. Do you think you could sneak him into a lineup just as a pure flyer? I would be a pure. This would be another. This would be one out of 20. Uh, just a pure flyer. I just don't know that I trust much of anything. And that, I, look, for everybody out there, there's going to be a lot of people, I'll say this, but plugging in Greg Ward, I don't love Greg Ward because I don't love Greg Ward with the ownership. You know, a few weeks ago on the, D, the DF, DFS show that we were doing, I like Greg Ward at the time, but as you just mentioned, the snaps weren't there. And then Greg Ward is kind of Cole Beasley. Like, what's the ceiling? And if that many people are going to be on him, kind of like you are saying before about the Michael Thomas, is like if that many people are on him, even if he hits at 14, 16 points, you're not really doing anything that affects you. Like, you might as well just throw that out. Like you didn't do anything. You didn't make up any ground because he's probably going to have a high ownership and you didn't pull anything away. Like I would just avoid Greg Ward in my opinion. I would just, I would just steer clear. Um, Dante Burnett was the other one. Like JJ Arzega Whiteside basically did nothing for the Eagles, but Burnett. Oh, he's, he's, he is nothing. Burnett only played 20% of the snaps, but he actually did stuff in the receiving game as opposed to Robert Davis, who was just always on the field yet did nothing. Like, I don't know. Like, I would be lying to you if I told you I knew like a ton about Robert Davis and Deontay Burnett. <laughs> uh, but this is where we're at with the Eagles. If Aguilar ends up sitting again, which it looks like he's going to do, that, like, would you have a preference between the two? Like, I'd probably just take the guy who's always on the field, but it seems yeah. to be one of these situations where when Burnett plays, they actually try to get him the ball. Yeah, but that's, I would go for what's on the field, but that doesn't always mean anything. Uh, I can't, that's been bothering me since you brought him up because I've been trying to think of it. There's a wide receiver that had been on the field. Oh, no. What the, was it tight end, maybe? I don't know. Whoever it was, there's somebody we talked about a few weeks. No, no. This was a, it was, this was a more relevant name. Somebody who just is on the field that much and just essentially not used. And no, it's not AJ Howard. But since we are kind of starting to skim into tight ends here, that's why, and I don't even care that it's chalky, 
I have Dallas Goddard. I, I Dallas Goddard everywhere. It's either him or Jono Smith, and I have a couple lineups that I'm doing the two tight end thing. Yeah, the two tight end thing is a good way to get away from ownership, and it's just cheaper in general if you do want to do that. And you can put Goddard into your flex if you end up going with that method. And then I, I know that's that what I have. I, I mean, I know he's going to be semi popular. So if you're behind, you can swap off to him onto maybe one of these losers and hope that they hit Bingo. Zach Goddard or Perkins, whoever it might be. What's the deal with Zach Ertz? Like, are we convinced? <laughs> What's the deal? <laughs> What's the deal with Zach Ertz? Yeah. <laughs> I, like the, the fact is, I think he's going to try to play. He practiced. From- he practiced today. Was it full though, or is it one of those he was on the sidelines and ran some routes? And what kind of session was it? Do we ever report on that? Well, it just says, and we're recording this on a Thursday. So the Thursday practice right. record just says Zach Ertz ribs practiced again Thursday. <laughs> That's it. Still feeling, yeah, I'm looking right now and then seeing that the the Twitter from Dave Zangaro. Uh, I I don't I don't know how much, but this one to go back to. So I'm not using Zach Ertz much but if he plays this is the kind of the argument for before of like the dalvin cook situation you might want to pay out for him to that you're definitely going to differentiate your lineup there because everybody's paying down for john everybody's going to be paying down for dallas goddard even if Ertz is out there because goddard's been a great play even with him out there and everybody's going to be looking everywhere else except for zach Ertz because of the price and because of the injury concern if he does the dalvin cook i mean you're looking at the aces there and the only problem i have with that is that I feel like he might be a pivot for what everything you've just talked about is that, you know, if you have heading into this game, Tyler Lockett and you're behind, a lot of people might move to Zach Ertz for that same reason. So you might get a lot of movement late to Zach Ertz. Well, I'm not really too concerned about that only because so few people actually utilize the late swap that. No, that's fine. true. So I yeah, still, <laughs> if we don't know, like, especially if we don't know going into Saturday, most people are just going to set their lineups and just not think about it until they go to look to see if they won or not. So, with Lockett, yes, you could pivot down to Zach Ertz if he's active, if you wanted to. But I don't think that Lockett's going to be super chalky. The one thing that you can do with Ertz, if you plug him in, because he's expensive, he's $6,000. So if you put yeah. him into your flex, not necessarily your tight end, or even if you want to do it into your tight end, and he is ruled out, or there's just some sort of you know, bad vibes around him, he's going to play limited snaps, whatever, and you don't want to use him anymore, instead of using that $6,000 um, and going on to Goddard, if you have it at tight end, just go on to Perkins. Uh, just because you know Goddard's going to be super chalky super popular and if you do need to differentiate let's say you're up by a bunch then you can just easily go on to goddard it's not that big of a deal but if you do need to catch up just bite the bullet sacrifice the money and you know go to twenty nine hundred dollars and use perkins like he's going to be viable if zach Ertz doesn't play and then you just have to hope that he has a better game than goddard which he just did and there's a lot to play with in this game everything you just said i mean there's a way where you could look at it you might pivot to metcalf and perkins or vice versa david moore and dallas goddard i mean there's there's a lot of flexibility you could create for yourself heading into this game hell if you want to rate, wait this long for a running back option, then you do go for the Marshawn Lynch and just hopefully that you're just celebrating with him. Uh, I think there's a lot of flexibility to do what you're talking about. And I was trying to give your viewer, like, they're paying attention to you, Pat. They're listening to us. Your viewers are smarter than you give them credit for. Yeah, no, I understand that. But, like, I wouldn't be concerned about ownership based on that just because I know most people aren't going to do it. Yeah, well, definitely. By the way, the team name for next year, Bad Juju Smith-Schuster, because it's true. <laughs> Hey, he might he might get it all back if Ben's back next year. I don't know, but I, I think that's going to be my team name for my league next year. You just made me think of that. Yeah. So, Vikings guys at receivers, Diggs and Thielen. No yeah. one's going to use them. No one wants them, but they're going to be playing catch no. up this entire game, presumably. 
They are, but you know, I think that it was the week 16 show. They talked about it. And I said, everybody overlooked the pickup of Janoris Jenkins and everybody, Oh, you know, just nobody was making noise about it. Don't know how many snaps are going to play. Even if it's so that people also didn't give credit to Jenkins for what he had been doing since the beginning of the season, like Lattimore around week three or four, they both changed course and played great ball, not quite to Lattimore's level, but him inside. I think he was inside the top 10, if not the top 15 of pro football focuses grades since that time. And what did we just see last week? Eli Apple was dead freaking not even active. So I look at this now and it's not just even playing catch up. I just think this secondary in this defense is scary. And I do think, and I'm sure we'll talk about, it, I think the defense is going to be one of the most highly owned defenses, even at the price because of all that. But I don't know. I just don't know how much Kirk Cousins is going to be able to do. Adam Thielen still doesn't look 100%. He doesn't look like he's, you know, back to the Thielen we knew before the injury. Almost kind of looks like Julian Edelman, like he's really fighting through it. Stefan Diggs would be the one I went to, if anything. And I know you could say, well, you know, Thielen would be the play because nobody wants him because he's banged up. But if anybody's going to do something against this defense, and I'm not even talking about the busted play from last year, but his speed and quickness, if there is pressure. But what did we talk about before, too, earlier this year with Kirk Cousins? If you're looking for the Diggs game, you're looking for somebody who can pressure the quarterback and make Kirk Cousins think quickly. Well, if he's thinking quickly throughout this game, you, we could see Diggs fall into 10 targets. Is, is John Brown a better play than almost like 98% of the other receivers? Like if you just started your team with Michael Thomas and John Brown, I feel like he'd be doing pretty good. I, I kind of feel like I, I didn't want to bring him up. <laughs> I, I, have, I have like 90% ownership on John Brown. <laughs> yeah, like he's in a great spot. He is. And at 6,000, he's for John Brown, he's mispriced. Would you, if he came down to it, would you rather play Singletary at 6,000 or John Brown at 6,000? Because for me, it'd be John Brown. Yeah, I agree with you. It'd be John Brown because he's 90% and Singletary's not. (laughs) Yeah. But it's funny, like, there's a big gap in the pricing here. Like, you get to those guys, then all of a sudden, there's like a cliff. It goes to Cole Beasley. He's $5,600, who I don't hate, by the way. I like Cole Beasley. Then it's like Greg Ward at 52. We know he's going to be popular. Then it's into like Fuller and Stills and Traquan and Muhammad Sanu and the guy that I'm playing in 100% of my lineups, Nikhil Harry at 4,100. I thought you were just going to skip over him. No, he is going to <laughs> obliterate the Titans here because the Titans shockingly good against slot receivers real bad on the outside. They are real bad on the outside. So watch it be a Philip Dorsett game. Okay, <laughs> you, you know what? That's actually not, maybe I shouldn't do a hundred percent Nikhil Harry. Maybe I should move on to a little bit of Philip Dorsett. I just think that Harry 3,200, they're, they're starting to use him on reverses. Like the Brady game stack is just one that no one is going to use. He's the cheap, like that's such a cheap stack. Like if you want to go Brady Dorsett and Harry, you could basically have all of the rest of the good players at the other positions. It could. I mean, that that combined trio right there would probably give you like a 0.5% overlap. Uh, the, the interesting one from this group that I want to ask you, because I campaigned to have you put him in worst place a bunch of times. And I even sent out a tweet at the end of the season because I think it, yeah, it was Anthony Staggs who tweeted out, well, Will Fuller finished. And I said, yeah, but let's talk about the fact two games accounted for like 68% of his production this year. And that's why I will never, ever, ever touch Will Fuller and seasonal period. Yeah. I mean, people want to roll him out there. Every, Joe Holko was trying to make a case from every week. And I was like, okay, it paid off two out of 16 games. Yeah, but good no, for hold, you. Hold, hold on. No, that's good. That is good. That is the case to play him because people are pensive like you are because the donut. No, the donut is no that's there. my on, problem. On, on a slate like this, I mean, you have to risk having the zero. He's a game time decision, so no one's really going to be using him. But if he's active against the Bills and he has this, I mean, he's the perfect type of GPP play. He really is. 
he is, except he's not. Uh, like I will. I don't. I don't want to make that bet because I don't know for sure. I don't know how people act in the playoffs. But if this is a regular season game, even with this questionable tag, my problem with Will Fuller is that his his ownership is still always too high because everybody always just expects that two touchdown, three touchdown game that everybody sees the price and look right now that price is forty nine hundred with the questionable tag on top of it. I think you're still going to get people pulled to him, and then if he is active, come tomorrow being Friday. And people are like, oh, well, he'll be fine. He's got the, the people are going to flock to him because it's forty nine hundred dollars. He can hit five times value in a blink of an eye, and that's why everybody always owns him. Agreed, but he's not going to be owned to the extent that you think he is. Like even if he's fifteen percent, that's too low on this slate. So I, so that's what I was going to say. I was going to say if he if he practices on Friday, I would think his ownership projection projection jumps over twenty percent. I might be wrong again. I don't know. I, I don't play playoffs as much as regular season. If regular season, I would make a, a bet on his ownership, but obviously it wouldn't be 20% because it's a full slate of games. But I, I kind of feel like it would be at least 20, 25% if he's off the, off the injury report tomorrow. So you finished inside the top 10 at Fantasy Pros in best ranking accuracy again this year. So congratulations to that, Jake. <laughs> so let's rank these guys in. Let's throw a price out the window, and we'll start with all the receivers from Nikhil Harry down. He's $4,100 down to the $3,000 guy. He would be number one for me if you can get him in. I'm going to make a point to get Nikhil Harry in. Who would be number two after that if you were just straight up ranking it? Would it be David Moore or be like Traquan? Uh, I think for me, I, I would go with Traquan because at least he could be the number two wide receiver. David Moore is it's still going to be the number three, best case scenario. Like it could pay off, but it could pay off of the opportunities are always going to funnel down to him third uh, with Traquan. There's games where all of a sudden he turns into the number two option. Granted, number two is relative with the Saints, but that's why. By the way, you you gloss past the fact. I even called you out on Twitter for it in a good way. We combined, and I say we because your knowledge and mine combined for the forces of the powers that may be, or whatever that show. <laughs> I forget the beginning. The force, yeah, the forces combined. The Voltron. We Voltron to the number one defensive ranking. Congratulations. We deserve a Barry Horowitz backpat for that one. <laughs> hey, that's a difficult position to project. It's funny. Like, I'm so bad at rankings and projections that the one that's the most volatile is the only one that I'm good at. <laughs> so, you might have, I might have, I should have used your rankings for tight ends. <laughs> yeah. What happened to you with tight ends? And so, I said this, and I'm not making an excuse. I, no, you was, it you're, was, you're definitely making it. <laughs> it was not a good year for tight ends for me. I think it was what 92nd or whatever, but I did tweet this out. The difference between the hundredth ranked person at tight end and 10th was the same gap as the person from 40th to 10th at wide receiver to give you an idea. So I could hit the top five every single week. It was just always guessing Noah Fant and Mike Kosicki and always getting those guys wrong. Yeah, it. I mean, my tight end rankings barely changed at all throughout the course of the season. Like, it's the that might have been the smart way to do yeah, it. It was like, here are the six guys that are good. I don't, I don't care what their <laughs> matchup is. They're just the top six every single week. Put them whatever fucking order you want. And then who <laughs> might score a touch? Who's like getting an increase in target share uh, throughout the course of the game? And then if anyone's playing Arizona, just rank them number seven. No, so oh, that doesn't always work for what you just said. You said rank them however you want. You should have just kept them in the same five because I did that the one week that George Kittle was like questionable and in the late game. So I was like, look, I'm going to rank them behind the big four because I would play the big four instead of waiting and not knowing what his usage is going to be. So I ranked him at five and that was the week that he went ballistic and finished like number one. And again, that gap was like 30 po or 25 points or something. So I got smashed that one week just in that alone. 
All right, let's talk about tight ends before we start talking about quarterbacks, because you probably do want to end up just, you're going to stack whoever with whoever. Ertz is the most expensive. He's $6,000. We're not sure if he's going to play or not. Goddard is second at 5200 And obviously, if Ertz doesn't play, everyone's going to use him. Then you have Cook at 49 mm-hmm. Hollister at 43 John U. Smith at 38 Those are probably the good guys to use. Uh, the, the, I, I don't want to say safe as it pertains to tight ends, but that's probably as safe as you're going to get. Then it's Kyle Rudolph, Josh Hill, Darren Fells, Josh Perkins, and Dawson Knox at $2,900. Honestly, like just pick one or two. Like That's the move here at tight end this week because there are so few decent options. If you were going to pay down, who hmm. would it be? Because I'm thinking it's probably Darren Fells for me. Oh, there you go. So we have no else to talk about because that was going to be the only one I brought up. I think that's the may, only person. May, maybe Dawson Knox. Like when we looked at the list of all the dudes that the Bills sat against the Jets, he was actually one of them. <laughs> right. And that's why. But at the same time, it's the Josh Allen factor. When we we factor in Cole Beasley, we have the Josh Allen factor. And then we have the Josh Allen factor of it's Dawson Knox maybe seeing five targets. So, again, it's a what, $100 difference. I'm not I'm not sweating a $100 difference for the fact of if I'm going to go down here, I'm just going to go straight to Fells. Fells. And if I had my way, I'd probably use Hollister or Johnny Smith, depending. Like, there's a $600 gap, $500 gap between them. Hollister is 43 and Johnny is 38 like just use one of those two guys if you're not going to use one of the eagles my my concern about hollister was the late in the season usage it just he had that run in the middle of the road where all of a sudden i was like oh it's the seahawks tight end all over a sudden and then they just stopped going to him and i don't know if that changes this week uh, so i hate that god i can't 4900 for he who shall not be named on this show I think it's actually I a dare, really good play. I, I dare you to use Jared Cook. I dare you. No. <laughs> Watch how well that turns out. Hey, he had been double digits in almost every single game since like we I, I talked about this on we did the rankings for the playoffs, like the more standard format, like drafter teams and stuff like that, and broke down tiers and how my rankings because I rank for this playoffs and I say you're I gave you tiers on top of it because if you disagree with my picks and the Saints going to the Super Bowl, you're gonna have a different set of rankings. So I gave you tiers as well. And he was my number one tight end because four games of him, you can't go away from it. Uh, you just use Dawson Knox because clearly the Bills <laughs> are going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> no, I, how great would that be if like Tannehill and the Titans made it? It'd be kind of interesting, but like there's also no floor for Jonu Smith either. He, I, he appears to either have a good game or a horrendous game. Yeah, he just gets, and it's so weird too. And you know what? Before I said I love him. But the only thing that brought me hesitation was Bill Belichick calling him the most talented tight end in the league. And oh, not no. that I think he – well, so that's the thing. Like, look, I don't think Belichick's, like, like lying. Like, I, don't, I think he actually might believe that he's at least top five, if not top three. If not, he's being 100% honest. My concern is that he's honest, and what do the Patriots always do? They take away the best player. Well, if you're also taking away, you know, A.J. Brown and you're just like, fine – it will take away John too and go ahead and try to give Derrick Henry the ball 30 times because we'll, we'll still put up more points in the time that you're able to do that. Cause it's going to take you forever to get down the field. Quarterbacks drew Brees, play him. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, the only difference. So I have drew Brees a ton and probably like I'm looking right now, probably like the 80, 90% range. I'll tell you the two that I'm thinking about. It would be Russell Wilson. If you're going to go for that stack and my stack, would be not lock it. Well, you know, lock it. What we talked about before, the lock it with DK Metcalf. If you're trying to go for the pay up one, because I don't, I think the price is going to be prohibitive for that. But if you want to differentiate a little bit and take one of them with Russell Wilson with the David Moore, 
Uh, I think that's interesting. And then to stay in the same game, because it would give you some flexibility, what you've been talking about this entire show with having to do late swap and everything like that. I think Carson Wentz, because he's throwing to nobody, is going to be somebody that if you look at the last four games, very productive fantasy-wise, but the problem is is you just pair him with Dallas Goddard, question mark somebody else, and that would be why, because only because it'd be risky. But uh, I, I'm kind of with you. I'm with like the Drew Brees or maybe the Tom Brady situation you talked about. I, I don't like really much else. So if you look at overall implied team totals for the week, the Saints are clearly number one. They're implied for 29 points against the Vikings. Who do you think right. the number two projected team point in points is this week? Mm. So there, I'd say Eagles. It's the Patriots. Really? Yeah. So hmm. back to what I was saying before, that it's not a high percentage chance of happening. But I do think no. there's some viability to Brady, Dorsett, Harry, bring it back with Derrick Henry and hope that's the game flow. No one's using it. And like a lot of the stuff is going to be a crap. So, they, are, they are projected for the second most points on the slate. Now, the defense probably ends up doing the scoring. But it's, <laughs> it's just funny to think of it in that way, that everyone's kind of off this Patriots offense. It's not very good. We all kind of recognize that. And it's hard to predict where the points are going to come from. But that's also going to lead to almost no ownership. That if that, like I'm saying, like if you play in the Pat Mayo Experience Open, you can enter three teams. I might just do that Patriot stack for one of my teams and see what happens. Yeah, I'm looking at it, and my real answer would have been the Seahawks, but the way that you asked it, I felt like that it was going to be a non-obvious one, and it is still non-obvious. I, I like everything you just talked about, and I wanted to come back and say, you know what? You know, I talked about before with Hopkins. I kind of like Deshaun Watson, as in the fact that everybody's like, oh, it's the Bills' defense. It's Tredavious White. It's the Bills and slowing things down at times. And you know, th this game could surprise if Houston does put up 30 points. I mean, you're going to, if you have Watson Hopkins and Will Fuller or D Duke Johnson, I mean, them putting up 30 points and doing that with those three, you're going to be, as you mentioned before, you're going to be with that early lead with a differentiated early lead. You probably can't get in uh, Michael Thomas with that, but you could definitely go to the more chalky six and 7,000 guys. Yeah. Or even if you just wanted to play it a little bit weirder, you could do, Deshaun Watson, Will, Deshaun Watson, Darren Fells, and Duke Johnson, and then bring it yeah, back with like John Brown, well. and then you can still pay up for all the guys that you wanted. Just trying to figure out different types of stacks for some of these games. I do think, like, just objectively, if you were just to play like one of these guys on an island by themselves, which I'm not recommending that you do, but and then you can kind of work your stacks out. Drew Brees is by far the best play on this slate, and he's not even the most expensive guy. But just know, probably half the people are going to own him. After that. The one I think you could go to if you really wanted to, I just talked about like the contrarian Brady stack. That would be my preferred contrarian stack of the bunch. But Cousins, Thielen, Diggs, if you want to roll that, or Cousins, Diggs, Rudolph, something like that. Uh, no one is going to use the Vikings. Cousins, Diggs, and Big Irv? Big Irv. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think that, to your point, I mean, because it, it's been proven before, and you you talked about it, about the checkdowns, Cousins Cook digs would be that nobody's going to have that. And or, I, or, I, like, or even just Cousins Cook and hey, just hopefully they get all the points. Naked Cousins. Ooh. Oh, naked Cousins. Looking <laughs> sexy. Naked Cousins. There you go. Uh, defenses. Let's close this out. Uh, you kind of hit on it before. Everyone's going to be using the Saints. This does seem like, like the Patriots are only $3,400. I don't know what their ownership is going to be. But again, if they can hop out to a lead here, like did maybe Tannehill pumpkins in a big spot. 
and that's a, a certain ability to, to, to go for here. And the fact that you said only, I mean, it hasn't been the same defense. It was where it was just even at 4,000, you thought about playing them, but there's that, that's the scenario you went for with the Patriots. And that's what we saw a lot of in the beginning of the year too, is they got out to leads. They forced teams to pass. They have corners and secondaries that can get the turnovers. They hit the quarterback and get the turnovers that way. And that's what you're looking for there. I would say, I'm kind of staying away from everybody except for the Saints Patriots and the one other one that I will throw into tournaments because he's turnover prone by himself and still can put up points so it can work both ways as the Houston Texans defense. Not a great defense, but it's Josh Allen and Josh Allen for himself. It's almost not quite Jameis Winston, but it's the, it's kind of that factor where, you know what? Oh, so what? They put up 27 points against us. He still turned the ball over four times. Yeah. He's one of these quarterbacks better. I mean, he's been very good at protecting the ball lately. That is the one thing in the second half of the season that Josh Allen actually really did improve. Just not giving teams short fields like he did early in the year. So that is concerning. But if Watt is back and you just kind of, you can't bank on Watt being a hundred percent cause he's probably not going to be, but if he has an impact on this game, then all of a sudden the Texans are probably the best value on the board. It's funny looking at it right now, an adjusted sack rate of all the teams left in the playoffs per sacks per drop back against which team do you think has the highest percentage of sacks? Houston. <laughs> you just said that. It's not. It's Minnesota. No, it's Minnesota. So there you go. So you could use uh, Minnesota against the uh, the Saints if you want to. You just uh, all, no, <laughs> you, you don't want to. But after that, it's Minnesota, Minnesota is fifth in overall uh, adjusted sack rate. The tops of the teams playing this weekend: New England, New Orleans, Buffalo, Tennessee. Tennessee's D is that interesting to you whatsoever? I think it's interesting only for the fact of what you're talking about. But the problem is it's the it's getting the turnovers. And I just don't know how many, even with this way this team leaked, there's so many reasons. And it's all narrative and it's all knowing what we know about this team. There's nothing on paper, but just I, I don't see a ton of turnover opportunities here. I think uh, if I oh. could name my DFS team, I would turn down for, or pay down for what? <laughs> uh, Eagles against Seahawks, just knowing that the <laughs> offensive line nah. is so banged up. So, nah, nah. so Patriots, Saints. No, or... if I'm going to go on that one, I would go Seahawks against the Eagles. Really? Yeah, because you talk about isn't Lane Johnson out? Uh, Lane Johnson returned to practice today, it seems. Let's see here. Where is it? Lane Johnson, Lane Johnson, Lane Johnson. Yes, Lane Johnson also practiced along with Zach Ertz, so he might be back. But the Seahawks just don't generate pressure. They're third worst in the league in adjusted sack rate. Like, I know. They, they don't get sacks, and if they don't get pressure, I don't want them. No, they don't, but I, 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 it would come down to no Lane Johnson. And so that it would just, it's crazy that I'm talking about a, like a freaking tackle in that, but that's, let's give credit where credit's due. I think if you take them out, I'm not saying all of a sudden they're going to be the most it's a pressured team in the league, but you take him out. It's a significant factor. The receivers that Carson. So basically no Lane Johnson, no Zach Ertz. I'd think about the Seahawks in a spot or two. All right. So for me, it would be Patriots saints, probably the saints, depending on how many other saints that I had in my lineup or potentially Vikings, uh, and then pay down for the Texans or Titans. If I was going to go that route. That's the same thing I would do, but I, I'm I'm not as sold as you are on the Titans. I think mine are the Patriots and the Saints are pay down for the Texans, and that's about it for me. Yeah, I think the Texans are objectively a better play than the Titans, just I know people aren't going to use the Titans. So I, depending on how my lineups work, like if I do that Brady build, then I'm probably not going to use the Titans defense. But if, I, <laughs> but if I have a build where, let's say, I have Cook in it or I have Diggs in it or you know some of the Titans, then using the Texans would make a lot more sense for me kind of thing. Well, yeah, if you're going to find a Derrick Henry lineup and put the Titans together with it, that'd be a great move. 
Yeah, and that's a spot where obviously you wouldn't use the Patriots defense, presumably. Right. But there's going to be like, you can tell yourself as many stories and how the games are going to work out. One, you're going to be wrong. So there's that. <laughs> but two, like there's, it's such a small slate that you're going to have to have crossover against your defense likely somewhere. Yeah, and that's understandable. I'm looking right now and... Although, if you, not necessarily. If you had the Saints, I think that's the one that you probably don't have crossover because I'm looking right now and none of my Saints defensive rosters have crossover. Okay, that's fair. All right, Jake Seeley, thank you for doing it. I can't believe we talked about a four-game slate for over an hour. It's nice. Theathletic.com is where you can find Jake Seeley. You can also follow him on Myriad Podcasts and at Allen Kid on Twitter. Tell us about all of these podcasts and what you got coming up in the new year because I think they're forcing you to do fantasy baseball again, aren't they? No. Oh. Yeah. I just broke some news. No fancy baseball for me because they're kind of going in a little different direction with the podcasting and they don't want either a temporary baseball show or they don't want a show that goes from baseball to football. And they also don't want a guest in from like February and then I cut out in June. So football only, everybody, uh, twice a week. It's going to continue, although we're breaking up the show. Now it's going to be like me and Chris one day and then me and Brad the other day or Brad and me. And then I still have the D'Angelo Williams podcast going on for a little while longer. And then my all in sports, I was on a little bit of hiatus for the, for the season. But, you know, that, that's, that's what happens. Easiest thing is do what you do. I, I tweet it all out, so just follow it there. Yeah, yeah, you just follow on Twitter and you can get everything there. See, I like the breakup for me because football and golf, and now that golf has basically been like, you know what, we don't want to compete with the NFL whatsoever that they wrap their season up two weeks before the NFL starts. Like, this is great. It's perfect. I know. That was perfect, perfect content schedule for me. I remember the days where that used to drag all the way until it was Nova, late, mid, late November. No, well, it's they still go throughout, the, but it's like swing season, like no one's really paying attention. But they used to have the FedEx Cup playoffs in September, and now they've moved it to August. It might be different because of the Olympics this year, but on a regular basis, that's how it is. Oh, yeah, the Olympics are this year. The, the, the day I gave up fantasy baseball really made me enjoy my job a lot more. <laughs> I got to tell you, as much as I love talking, like I've, I've already talked with some people about it on Twitter. I haven't tweeted anything out fresh by itself because I don't want to piss people off yet but the conversations i do enjoy talking about it i'm actually kind of glad i don't have to do a podcast anymore i, I get so tired the, the problem is there's so many games and there's so many players that by may it's like i've talked about everybody i, I got nothing left to say yeah and then once you start doing like full-time football and dig into that like you're just knowledge because there's so many people to know and so much changes every single day that like right there's no, there's no off days when you're covering baseball and that that's why i ended up giving it up because once football would start coming in like full steam at the because it got earlier and earlier Remember the like when we first started, be like, "Hey, we're releasing the draft kit August 1st. Yeah, that went away pretty quickly. It's like it's June first all of a sudden. So, I know. So you're doing football full time for these three months while baseball is going on. Like you just stop knowing who got called up last night, or and especially now with like the the seven day DL or whatever the hell that is. Like now there's even more players. Coming oh, they're doing away out. with that. Okay, good. That's that's probably good news. I think I think they're changing it this year where they still have it for pitchers or something weird. I don't remember the seven. Well, at least sevens. For, I don't know who the hell cares. It's, there's ten too, and one of them's for concussions. I'm with you on that because I had, I had something happen with me too. That like somebody got demoted the night before, and I had put out a trade when it had like, and I missed it. And I'm just like, I'm with you. It's like I I can't like 
there's enough where we're doing football, you know, five, six, seven, probably relevant fantasy players per team. We'll even, we'll even call it seven. So you've got two, 250 players, me, you, uh, like the people that would do what we do. We know three, 350, maybe even 400, like people like myself that I'm going to the combine. It's year round. That's, that's football. Baseball, you have to know like six, 700 people. And it's just impossible when we do football as much as we do. Yeah, like I said, the the best day I had is when, and you've seen a lot of people like, because almost everyone, and fantasy baseball used to be super popular. And honestly, like the football shows I put out in March will do better than any fantasy baseball show <laughs> I put out in March. So why even do fantasy baseball at this point? But the, but the difference is the fantasy baseball people probably have the longer attention span and more reliable to listen to and watch every show that they like because the fantasy baseball people are like, that's why I pissed off somebody not knowing that the guy got demoted the night before. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I missed news within the last six hours while I was sleeping. Yeah. And well, the big thing is, too, like, I think fantasy baseball skews a lot older for one thing because it's a lot of people who just, you know, they, they got nothing to do or anything like that. And they can actually sit down and watch baseball. Or maybe they have the attention span for it i mean i don't anymore i mean i watch golf but <laughs> golf is fun to watch on tv it's exciting but i like the content goes out of date so quickly like if i do something it i would have to wake up and like do a show at 5 a.m so people could have it all day but then by the time lineups come out it could be completely irrelevant like that sucks I couldn't agree with you more. I do rest the season rankings for fantasy baseball and I put them out on, I was putting them out on Tuesdays last year. I might push it back to Wednesday because Monday night, Tuesday morning ended up being because of the day off a lot of like DLs and call-ups and stuff like that. So to your point, I put out the rankings and eight hours later, it's like, well, what did you do? Like, because something happened within the eight hours since I published. Yeah. So it's a bummer when you start thinking about it like that. I know Garyan and Meanie are doing fantasy baseball full-time, I believe. Uh, yeah, they are. And I mean, I'm doing... I'm still doing my rest of the season. I'm still covering baseball. I'm just oh. not doing podcasting. Oh, yeah, I'm still I, I, th I thought you were off completely. No, just off the podcasting. I still have my rest of the season rankings and I'll, I'll be part of the draft kit. Oh, please, Jake. You sound like me when I quit smoking. I quit for like three weeks. I'm like, I'll just have one or two. And then I'm just back full time <laughs> smoking again. No, I'm not doing any podcasting. I've already declined already. Somebody was like, hey, you come on and do a podcast for fancy baseball. I was like, look, I don't even get into it until February. Like, chill the hell out. <laughs> right. Well, Gary and Thorne at Gary and Thorne, at Chris Meany on Twitter right now if you want to start talking some fantasy baseball. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I'm not against fantasy baseball. I just don't want to do it. Uh, you can follow me at the PME, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can get into the Pat Mayo Experience DraftKings Listeners League for NFL Wildcard Weekend. Hit the description of this podcast or video. I talked about that fantasy golf stuff off the top. Highly recommend if you do want a very low-risk way to dip your toes into the water of fantasy golf, the Gups Corner one and done is truly the best way to do that. Playing on DraftKings every week is way more fun, by the way. Uh, so just become a member at fantasynational.com and go check that out. And that'll do it. Oh, also follow uh, the Fantasy Football Show on Instagram for that giant league that I talked to you about, the, those weird formats or something that intrigues you. Anyway, told you about the giveaways, told you about everything else, but I will say good luck on Wild Card Weekend. I'm Pat Mayo. I'll see you next time. Experience. Experience.